Do you like stories? I have a story. In fact, I read this story here in this place quite a long time ago, so it may have some echoes of the the past, but not to worry. Its truth is as true now as it was then. Like all good stories, it begins... Thank you, once upon a time. Because once upon a time, in an attempt to stop people drowning at sea along their coast, a group of volunteers began a rescue station. With only one rescue boat and a few canoes, the team of volunteers made an enthusiastic start. The rescue station building is just an inadequate, cold, uncomfortable tin hut. There is a small group keeping constant watch out to sea. It's hard, tiring work looking out for lost people, but zeal and enthusiasm mean that fatigue is hardly noticed. At this stage, all the volunteers are working happily together, and some people are regularly being rescued. Several of those saved begin to work at the rescue centre. News of certain dramatic rescues draws the attention of the local and national media. From within the surrounding area, people are wanting to identify with something successful. They start giving their time and money to support the new work. No longer is one boat and a few canoes acceptable. Only the best in life-saving equipment will do. Specialist courses on all aspects of rescue work are initiated. Within three years, a team of highly capable leaders emerges. Some of those initially involved are encouraged to take up less demanding jobs, like making the tea. The old tin hut does not project the right image now of a thriving rescue operation. A more comfortable environment is required for the first refuge of those saved from the cold sea. The old army camp beds are removed and comfortable facilities are provided in a new enlarged building. Members like meeting there when not on duty, partly because the club atmosphere is so enjoyable. Being a thriving venture, the members become increasingly self-satisfied. There is laughter, fun, and plenty of mutual backslapping. The flags still fly with the rescue station motif proudly displayed. Those who are large financial supporters are given a free tie with motif for promotional purposes. One of the original members who had maintained his desire to rescue people at sea notices that the boat is hardly ever launched now. There are rumours that a new firm specialising in rescues will be employed on a part-time basis. This will allow members more opportunity to take money and enjoy themselves. Around this time, a major accident occurs. A large ship is wrecked off the coast. The hired crews bring in many cold, wet and half-drowned people. Some are sick, some have different coloured skins. Our happy little club is thrown into chaos. People are taken outside to be cleaned up in case they make a mess everywhere. Surely people must be clean before coming inside, shouts the chairman as he sees his life's work turning into a disaster area. A special meeting is hastily called by the club members. Everyone expects a full turnout when there is a major crisis and members willingly oblige. The majority want to cease being a rescue station as some unpleasant things have happened recently. Some rather undesirable people have been admitted who are hindering the normal social life of the club. Members do not like change unless it's to make them more comfortable. So members insist that the club was designed as a rescue station and that it exists in order to save lives. But following much heated argument, 
It is decided to terminate all rescue activities until further notice. Those who want to save the lives of all kinds of people can go and do so elsewhere. They do. The new group has a tremendous start. In their first year, they save over 40 lives. After 10 years, the number rescued dwindles to just one or two. Those who are saved now have usually made their own way out of the sea and come to the rescue station because it is warm. One man even comes because there is a poster outside advertising talks on rescues, followed by coffee. He's cold and thinks he can put up with a talk if the coffee is good. As the years go by, the new group sees history repeating itself. The reason for the initial project is soon forgotten. Members are excellent at looking after each other. The door is always open in case someone cares to come in to be told how to be rescued. Some now think the time has come to start another rescue station and buy a little tin hut further down the beach. Should you visit this stretch line of coast today, you will find the tin huts have long gone. In their place are exclusive clubs, catering for like-minded people of the same colour and class. These clubs are almost identical to all the other ones that have taken over the beach. It's even rumoured that a consortium from the Middle East is considering moving in. Shipwrecks are still frequent. Middle-aged men and children on Lilo still drown. But the clubs go on forever. We were made for a mission. Jesus came as God's rescue mission from heaven. And it is your job and mine to continue that mission. In the same way that you gave me a mission in the world, I give them, talking to his followers, a mission in the world. As the Father has sent me, said Jesus, so now I am sending you. So what are we sent to do? What is our mission? Paul is very specific. The most important thing is that I complete my mission, the work that the Lord Jesus gave me, to tell people the good news about God's grace. So write this down if you have the outline in front of you. The fifth purpose of my life is to share the good news made for a mission. You see, having discovered that God made me to love me, and having discovered that that love that God has for me took him all the way to a cross outside Jerusalem, having discovered that I've been saved from a life without God and an eternity without hope, God expects me. Moreover, it is my duty, my moral obligation to share that with others. And in so doing, to throw out the lifeline of rescue that others might grab hold, men and women, boys and girls, and be rescued in exactly the same way as I have been. We call it evangelism. And the key word verse for this morning comes from those verses that I read at the beginning of Acts. Jesus said, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now notice, firstly, what it doesn't say. It doesn't say you will be my defense lawyer. It doesn't say you will be my salesman. This is good news for us. I am not God's defense lawyer. I do not need to have all the answers to be a witness. 
I do not ultimately need to defend God's truth. God's truth is true whether I defend it or not. There are times to defend it, certainly, but God's truth does not depend on my defense of it. I am neither a salesman and neither are you. We do not need some slick presentation, some fast, slippery talk to entice people into the kingdom. We are not called to be salespeople. We are called to be witnesses. And who can witness better to what God has done in your life? No one but you. You are the best witness of what God has done in your life. And God says, I just want you to tell other people what's already happened to you, to be a witness of God's work that has already taken place in your life. You see, evangelism is not bullying people to believe something they don't want to. It's not beating people about their head with some kind of Christian dogma. It's never expressed like that in the Bible. It's an invitation, not a dogma. It's not tricking people to come to an event or to a dinner where we can get them with a message after they've eaten our food. It's sharing the attractive the life-changing, the irrepressible good news of Jesus that we've discovered in our hearts to be a witness of what he has already done. Why does it matter? Why does it need to be shared? It matters because as we said in the second week, God has formed us for a family. God is building a family of people from every part of this world that will spend eternity with him. That's the whole point of history. History keeps going for this purpose, that God can bring people to himself, to live with him forever. And one day believers of every tribe and language and tongue and people and whatever way you want to split humanity up, people from every different group will gather to sing his praise and to live with him forever. This is not mission impossible. This is mission inevitable. It is happening. It has happened. It will happen. It's what God is doing and it has been his plan all along. This was God's plan for all of history which he's carried out through Jesus Christ. And here's the amazing part. God has chosen us to complete the mission. The mission that he started, he now says, you guys, I want you to finish what I have begun may have heard the story of God in heaven explaining all this to an angel. And God explains to this angel that that, that his plan now is to give this great good news to his children on earth. And the angel is rather shocked by this and says to God, "But, but what happens? What happens if they don't do it? What is plan B? And God says very simply, there is no plan B. And you might be in the queue when we get to heaven to ask God a question. And it might be all kinds of things that you want to ask God. I think my number one question is this. Why on earth did you leave it to us? Why on earth did you leave it to us? But until I know the answer to that, I've got to assume that there was a jolly good reason. And I'm called, and so are you, to give my life for that purpose. Made for a mission. We're it. And that's why the central slide of our church's vision presentation is this one. That the local church, whether that be Burlington Baptist Church or St. Matthew's or the Ipswich International Church or any other church, the local church 
is the hope of the world because there is no other place that is committed to rescuing people from unbelief. Tesco's does not do that for you. They do everything else at Tesco's. But they do not do this. And nobody but the local church does this. And that's why we're the hope of the world. The only place dedicated to rescuing lost people. And so being on mission is the greatest privilege because we are quite literally taking part in God's history making. So what do we do? What do we do? Well, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You'll be my witnesses firstly to Jerusalem. Start where you are, Jesus was saying. That's where they were. They were in Jerusalem. Your mission starts right where you are. I mean, we all know the joke of someone asking for directions and the person being asked says, well, if I was you, I wouldn't start from here. No, it was never funny. It's certainly not funny this time. We don't have to go somewhere else to start. This is where we start. I must share with those in my world. I must share with those in my world. God says you start your life mission exactly where you are, with the family God has given you, with the community he has placed you in, with the work colleagues you are with, with the neighbours that are around you. Start where you are. There was this guy in the Gospels who was healed by Jesus. And after Jesus had healed him, he said, well, Jesus, I want to follow you. I'm ready to go and follow you. And this is what Jesus says, no, don't. Don't. Instead, go back home. Go back home and tell people how much God has done for you. So the man went all over the town telling how much Jesus had done. You might want to circle the phrase, go back home, because in a sense God says that to us. It starts right where you are. Go to those closest to you and say to them what God has done for you. Sharing with anybody and everybody along the way. And let's, be, let's make no bones about it. This is not an easy thing to do. This is not an easy thing to do. Sharing our faith is hard. Which is why we need the power of which those verses in Acts speak. You will receive power and then be my witnesses. But maybe there are some myths that if we exploded it would make it a little easier. You see, one of the myths is that people aren't interested in spiritual things. In fact, these days, it might once have been true, but these days, nothing is further from the truth. People aren't interested in organised religion, and they're not really interested in the church either. But in things that are spiritual, things that have a real spirituality about them, people are very interested in these days. The search for meaning, all kinds of places now, you will see quite openly and expressed something that is spiritual. It's okay to talk about spiritual things. In fact, maybe it's the church that finds it more difficult now than the people outside. We get all hung up and tongue-tied about it. People out there are quite open about the people's different spiritual experiences. Kerry and I were out for supper, and there were two other couples uh, uh, around the meal table. And the meal had hardly got underway. When the man whose house it was, doesn't go to church, doesn't have any faith, says, right at the beginning of our evening, uh, Simon, why? Why do you work for a church? I was taken aback that the question was so direct and the opportunity for me to share the gospel was so full on. I was so surprised by it that I nearly blew it. 
People are interested in people's real spiritual experiences. What he was asking, Simon, what happened to you that you would give up your life, as he saw it, to work in such a weird set of circumstances? And with a weird bunch of people. Maybe he didn't say that, but I'll add it just for good measure. And why would you do that? What happened with you? That's what he wanted to know. What happened with you? And I was able to say, it happened like this. A conversation about spiritual experience that sat very comfortably with a whole host of other conversations that we journeyed through that evening. People are happy and willing to talk about real experience. And that's what you're to be a witness to. You're not a defense lawyer. You're a witness to what Jesus has done in your life. Remember your job's not to convert people. Praise God. The Holy Spirit does that. Just be a witness. Myth two is that only, uh, we're only really good witnesses when we are really intense and full on with people. No, that's not true either. Let's think about it. Jesus talked about us being light and salt and sowers of seed. It's 6 a.m. on the church weekend. You are fast asleep. Your bedroom is still dark. If Margaret Smith comes into your room singing Shine, Jesus, Shine and switches the lights on, are you pleased to see her? No. By the way, the deadline for the church weekend is next Sunday. I'm really selling it to you now. We've got Margaret under control. It's okay. If you are asleep in total darkness and some lunatic like one of your children switches the bedroom light on, are you pleased with them? No. You are used to the darkness, so you recoil from the light. It doesn't matter how many times someone says to you, it's morning, it's morning, it's a lovely new day. You are used to the dark, and you do not want the light on. At least not straight away. So you shrink back from it. When you buy chips, do you put all the salt on one chip? Given that salt brings flavor, it's going to be a heck of a flavored chip. No. You spread it around. It would be too much, too intense. You spread it out a bit. And when you sow seeds, do you put them in the ground only to dig them up again and plant them a week later just to make sure they're doing okay? Put it in the ground again and again. No. And so Jesus gives this imagery about us in the world with our mission. He says, be like light. You see, evangelism is not turning the light full on when people are used to the darkness. You see, we do that and we wonder why they jump with surprise and shrink back and recoil from what we're trying to offer. Don't turn the light full on, it's too bright. In your witnessing, light a candle and let that candle flicker for a bit and once it's flickered for a bit, turn up the side lights and when the side lights are on and the candles are on and their pupils are are not so tight when they're beginning to open, go for the full light. Maybe that's why our memory verse says, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. We panic so much with outsiders that we do stupid things sometimes. We think that evangelism is pouring all the salt that we have into one conversation. If this Easter, your evangelistic strategy is to share the six main proofs of the resurrection to somebody, please don't. You will give them spiritual indigestion. They will spew it all out. It's too much. They're not really interested in that anyway, probably. But if this Easter, your evangelistic strategy is to try and share something about the resurrection with as many people as you meet, then good on you. Because it's a little bit of flavor. A little bit of salt. People won't spew it out. "Mm, That's quite tasty, actually. And they'll want a bit more. 
We think evangelism is digging up the seed we've planted only to plant it again. We say the same things to people over and over. If only we say it loud enough, then maybe it'll sink in. It's like when you're on holiday and the foreign people don't understand what you're saying, so you shout at them as if it makes a being a difference. And like in our evangelism, we keep shouting at people the same thing. They heard us the first time. They're bored with it. And you see, that's why there is panic in households all up and down the country. Husbands everywhere know what's about to happen in the next few days. Their wives will say to them this question that they have asked them every single year of their married lives. Wives will say to husbands, will you come to church with me this Easter? And quite frankly, these husbands would rather go to a knitting circle than come to church with their wives on Easter Sunday. So they'll say no, and their wives will get upset. And it will be the same prelude to Easter that has put their relationship under strain year after year. Now don't get me wrong, I'm not suggesting that you should not invite your friends and family next Sunday. Invite as many people as you can invite next Sunday. We're going to have a fantastic service here with baptisms and all, and celebration of the end of our 40 days together. But what I am saying is if you've planted a particular seed and you're still planting the same seed year after year, and there's been no fruit. For goodness sake, plant a different seed somewhere else. Be wise in the way we act towards outsiders. Going on and on achieves nothing. People nagged into the kingdom make lousy Christians, is my observation. You see, there's no quick fix. Lights need to be turned up slowly if we don't want people to recoil from the brightness of it. Salt needs to be spread all over for it to be useful. And seeds need to be planted and nurtured for a long time before fruit will come. And all of this takes time and effort. Why in the world should I take that time and effort with somebody else? Why? Because you are still alive. That's why. You see, have you ever wondered why when you become a Christian, God just doesn't take you zap straight up to heaven? Wouldn't that be fantastic? God says, whoop, they're in, whoop, they're off. Home you go. Cut out all this messy stuff in the middle. Struggling to live for him and sin and suffering and all that. Why doesn't God just zap us up? Seems to me that there are only two reasons that God leaves us on the earth. There are only two things you can do on the earth that you can't do in heaven. You can sing in heaven. You can pray in heaven. You can fellowship in heaven. You can serve God in heaven. You can rest in heaven. There are two things that you can't do in heaven. One is sin. And the other is share the good news of Jesus Christ. Which one of those two did God leave you on earth to do? Duh. Which one did he leave us here to do? Absolutely. The only reason your heart is still beating after you came to Christ is that he's got a job for you to do. You see, like any father, he'd love to have us with him in heaven, don't you think? Don't you think how the Father's longing for the day we come home? Oh man, he's longing for the day we'll come home. When we're we're with him like he always dreamed. When we're with him like it was always planned. So why does he leave us here? He leaves us here so that more people might know. That more people might long for home. If somebody hadn't shared it with you, you wouldn't be here. And so God wants you to pass on what he's given to us. God does not want anyone to be lost. But he wants all people to change their heart and lives. How much does God care about your neighbors? He cares this much about your neighbors. This much about the people that you work with. 
This much about the people that you love. This much about the people next door. You see, even in this church, I've heard the, sen- the sentiment expressed that we don't need any more people. What do we need new people for? We're big enough. Enough for whom? Enough for us? Absolutely we're big enough for us. More people is more headaches. More people means more people can't sit in the pew they always sat in. That's a headache. More people means you need to find more small groups. You need more small group leaders. That's a headache. More people, there's more pastoral care. We need more on the pastoral team. That's a headache. Are we big enough? Sure, for us, we're big enough. Absolutely. For our pleasure, we're big enough. Are we big enough for God? Absolutely not. He doesn't want anybody to be lost. He doesn't want anybody to be left outside. We will only be big enough when there is nobody else outside the kingdom to find him. It's not how big should we get, but should anybody be left out? Should anyone not find what you have found? Hello? Should anybody not find what you found? Does everyone deserve that opportunity? The moment we say we're big enough is the moment we say to the rest of our friends, our colleagues, our relatives, the people of this neighborhood, the people of this town, you don't really matter anymore. We're not bothered that you're lost without God. We're not bothered that you're heading for a lost eternity. We're just glad we're in. As Rick Warren would say, and he's absolutely right, if we say we're big enough, it's like saying to those outside our church, you can go to hell. And when we stop sharing our faith, we're saying, whatever. I don't care anymore what happens to you. I'm not bothered anymore. No worries, just glad I'm in. If we want God's blessing on our lives, and if we want God's blessing on our church, we've got to really care about what God cares about. What does God care about? Next week is Easter. What does God care about? He cares about lost people. I've come to seek and save those that are lost. He cares about your lost friends and your lost neighbours and your lost work colleagues and your lost loved ones, your relatives that don't know Jesus. We've got the best news we have to share with our world. But secondly, I must dare to reach beyond my world. It's not enough just to care about those around us. The love that God has for lost people must drive us to reach out beyond our comfort zone to people of different backgrounds and different education and different languages and different economics. I must move from Jerusalem, my world, to Judea and Samaria. People near but different. People near but different. You see, if you had a vaccination for bird flu and you kept quiet, there'd be a few angry people around. Somebody cared enough to share it with us and that love must push us beyond our comfort zone to share it with others. And so Paul says, whatever a person is like, whoever it is, I try and find common ground that I might share Christ with them. I don't just hang around with people like me, but I try and build bridges to people who are different from me. I build bridges as a Christian, not walls. Repeatedly, therefore, the Bible says, go. 
Go to those who are not your own, but are different. You can't spell God without go. You can't spell gospel without go. And you can't spell good news without go. Real religion is about going. The kind that passes muster before God is about reaching out. You see, the fascinating thing about Samaria is it wasn't a long way away. And we can reach out to those beyond us who are right under our nose without even leaving Ipswich. The other world that is just a few streets away. The other world that is maybe even only next door. Go on a few share scheme visits with Margaret Smith and discover another world that's just under our nose. See, the share scheme is one of our ministries here at Burlington, and it's recognized by social services. They ring us up to tell us about a family or a, or a person, an individual, that is in acute social crisis, that we might go and give them food and toiletries, offer to love them, and promise that we will pray for them. A wife fleeing to the women's refuge from a husband that's beating her up. A family breakup where somebody is left with nothing. And we take those immediate supplies and simply say, we're here as a church and we'll love you and we want you to express that love for you. Just one of the ways at Burlington that we reach beyond ourselves to another world with the love of Christ. Go with Phil and the prison team and reach another world at Holsley Bay. Commit to Open Door this Christmas. Support Burlington's Parson Pantry. Get involved with the street pastors in Ipswich. Support Barry Smith with his local community initiative. Whatever it might be, there are plenty of ways simply here and now to reach another world for Jesus. Without leaving Ipswich, you can reach the other world far away. Get your small group to support a child. Get your small group to support Project Ruth, our link partnership in Romania. Get involved with Mark and Penny working in Bulgaria. Support Operation Christmas Child. Talk to Jonathan Barnes about how you can support Happy Homes Orphanage in Kenya. Send a card or email to Jade Laithwaite in Ecuador. TWAM, Arab World Ministry, Samaritan's Purse, Tear Fund, Christian Aid, Baptist World Mission. It's not like we don't have anything to do. And you can't do all of them, you can't do half of them, but each of us could do one of those things. And in so doing, reach beyond our world, because the love of Jesus demands it. And finally, I must care about the whole world. To the ends of the earth, everybody else, Jesus said to his followers, go everywhere in the world and tell the good news to everyone. Notice that he said to his followers, And Jesus said of his followers, you will become fishers of men. If you're not fishing, you are not following. He says to his followers, go everywhere, because everyone deserves to hear this good news. The secret of a fulfilled life, it's what we all want, is not to insist on saving our own lives. Only those who throw away their lives for my sake and for the sake of the good news, will ever know what it really means to live. Is anybody in heaven because of you? When you get to heaven, is anybody going to thank you and say, I'm so grateful that you passed it on. I'm here today in heaven because of you. I will be in heaven because of Jonathan Harris. He is no relation to me at all, but I'll be in heaven because of him. I'll be in heaven because Jonathan Harris did something quite uneventful, really. Instead of sitting at home with his feet up, with his wife Amy, and watching Casualty on a Saturday night, he got down to the youth club at our church, 
and he talked about what it means to live a fulfilled life and his words that night were like fire in my heart and I knew it was true. I'll be in heaven because of him. And we're coming to the end of 40 days. Hooray! <laughs> Could have been an R. Notice it was an array. Take those names down. We do the people that said that. We're coming to the end of it all. And my prayer at the end of this, after we celebrate next Sunday morning, is that somehow this verse would ring in our hearts. Instead of David, it would be us. David served God's purposes in his own time. That's my prayer for all of us. That's my prayer for me. In our generation, in our time. I can't think of a better epitaph. This coming Wednesday, we will rush to Cardiff so that I can take the funeral of my great aunt who died 95 years of age. What better thing for us to put on her tombstone than she served God's purpose in her time. And she did. I want people to say that about me. I want people to say that about you. What better way to live than to serve God's purpose. And when that's done, why stick around? What better place to go than to the Father's house that's filled with the Father's love? Here's the test. Whether your mission is over, is your heart still beating? If you're still alive, it's not over yet. And so as we close, you've got four possible responses. You can say like Moses, who? Me? Never. Or you can say like Jonah, not me. Or you can say like Habakkuk, why me? Or you can say like Isaiah, send me. Send me. Here I am, Lord. Is it I, Lord? I've heard you calling in the night. I will go, Lord. If you lead me, I will hold your people in my heart. Let's stand together.